Spirit Radio Podcasts. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. Have you ever injured yourself doing exercise and perhaps that injury could have been stopped from happening if you had warmed up or cooled down better or just set more realistic goals? We chatted to Stephen Kinsler from FSM Fitness in Bray about preventing injury when exercising. And that's one of the things that we talked about was just being realistic when we're setting our goals when it comes to exercise. If you're going to start running and you've never ran before or you, you, you were a previous runner and you were running four or five days a week, start off with just two or three. And so if you go, right, I'm going to run, no matter what, I'm going to run three times this week. And then if you run the fourth or the fifth, you're happy. But if you plan five and you only run three, psychologically you're losing. You're going to be unhappy with yourself. Gonna, and then you're going to push harder or run further. And what we're seeing with a lot of our guys in the gym, they're, they're oh, I want to start running. Like we're doing a running challenge. And uh, What's I, the challenge? What do you have to get to? So it's for, it's, it's for a beginner runner. So in the month of July, you have to run uh, a marathon. You have to accumulate a marathon. How was that a beginner's challenge, Stephen? So you're running a couple of miles every day. Oh, so, in total. Yeah, it's a total challenge. Phew. Now, some of our members completed it within the first week because they're, they're active runners. But for, for me, and I'm a very inactive runner, I, dis, I dislike running. It's just not my, my thing. I've been doing it and I, I ran a 5K and I ran a few 2Ks and I really am not enjoying this challenge. But it's a challenge and not all challenges are enjoying but I'm not going to run every single day because I know that's counterproductive to your my overall goals. Because it's going to hurt me. Well, what mm. about that? Because running is very hard on mm. your, especially road running, right? It's yeah. very hard on your knees. Is there, whether it's running or weightlifting or whatever you do that you like, is there a danger from an injury perspective of doing too much of one thing? Yeah. Every sport has its has its imbalances. So if you're a runner, um, firstly, a lot of people need to know how to run correctly. A lot of people don't. And I see it on a daily basis with people running past the gym or like running on the road and their mechanics are all off. And you can just see... Either can you actually change that? I know you can get your gait assessed, but... Yeah. It must be hard to break a habit of how your body has oh, been yeah, working. Oh, yeah, well, if, you, if you've run like that all your life. I mean, again, we don't, we don't get taught how to run or jump. Uh, these are basic mechanics. Um, but, yeah, we, like, for example, I did, I, I noticed, and I, sp- I said it to our intern, um, I said, check out this guy. Now, I pre- every guy that's running on the road, you're doing more than a lot of other people and fair play. And I said, what does that look like to you? I said, it looks like his hips are really sore. And I said, yeah, he's running through his hips. He's not using his legs. So his inactivation of certain muscle groups is only going to overload that joint eventually, which if it's in the hips, nine times out of ten is going to end, ten is going to end up as a back problem. Then he's going to go to physio over a back problem. But it's not. It's, it's originating hip, from the hips. Hips and mechanics and running different. And it's, just, it's, and it's not huge changes. But the problem is if you're, if you're a confident 10K runner, with bad mechanics you're not going to go back to running one case to fix it well something that's certainly changed since you know I was a teenager right is the amount of different types of runners workout things that you can I got a new pair of runners recently and I couldn't believe it's like you know this is for weight training these are Mm. cross country there were so many different types Um, does it really make a difference I bought into that to be honest I had runners for running runners for lifting runners for doing competitive fitness and um, no not really, not to the to the average person. Yeah, if you're just doing light running or whatever. Yeah, if you're, you're just doing, doing like uh, if you're going into like big, big long runs, yeah, you want to invest in a good pair of shoes. Um, but realistically, if you're just doing like fives and tens, once you feel comfortable in a pair of shoes, good. From an injury perspective, I've heard it said many times, it's all about the core. 
Is that true? But everything you do is about your core. As soon as you're standing up, your core is active. The core is a buzzword, um, which is kind of frustrating because... As a mummy who's had a baby, I feel that core ain't never going to be the same. So am I just bunched? No. <laughs> I'll tread lightly here. Um, so when it, when it comes to... So with, with pregnancies and stuff, it's it's a whole other ball. It all depends on how the pregnancy went and was the cesarean. And as you said, like a, a split abdominal can cause all sorts of havoc. But the core is from the top of the ribs around down to the hips around. So it's not just your abdominals. Whereas people just think abs, it's, it's abs, think abs. Right? Yeah. It's also an, a, a very, very overlooked and underutilized muscle is your external obliques. Um, they're the so side, is that doing the, kind of rotations or? Yeah, but learning how to brace and use because they're the supporting network for the abs so if they're not strong no matter how much core in the front you're going to do they're never how do you strengthen those well you can do like like side crunches and you can do side planks side taps there's like if you youtube or google it you'll get like some guy's video or some girl's video of like hey do these 55 exercises for the next year and you'll have abs Um, that's achievable not but there's a lot of kind of strength bracing work bracing work is uh it's overlooked where you le- like you put a kind of a very lightweight, you never put a heavyweight, but a lightweight on the abdominal, you brace into the weight and then start to develop tension in those muscles. And it's very light resistance and that will help build um, your, like your, your, your core or your obliques and your abdominals. But then also you got, as you were saying, your back went. So people tend to focus too much on their core. They let the back go slack and then they end up with a back problem because you got to think if you've got one muscle really overdeveloped, there has to be another muscle that's not. Something has to give, basically. Something's going to give somewhere. And What's the best way of being well-rounded then on everything? Uh, you, realistically, you would not fix your own car. So find a coach. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. Ben Conroy just recently graduated from Oxford University with a first class honours degree in politics, economics and philosophy. He was very involved with the Oxford Pro-Life Society and he joined me earlier on in the week to tell me where he thinks the pro-life movement should go in Ireland after the recent referendum result. And I think that one of the key things for us is to not let the, the, the oppression get into our own heads. Um, have you felt that and have, have you kind of felt uh, people trying to push you into that siege mentality I mean here you are uh, first class honours degree when you're studying things like philosophy uh, you must have got that attitude you're a philosophy student at Oxford and you're pro-life yeah 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 and, uh, well one of the guys whose lectures I most enjoyed going to a guy Jeff, Jeff McMahon um, fantastic professor terrible ideas um, you know just the stuff that's going on in the academy taking the sort of pro-choice logic on abortion, you know, that, that logic that not every human is equal and applying it consistently to other areas. People like McMahon saying, you know, some people with cognitive impairments are not, in fact, uh, equal or whatever. And then you get, you know, the student level, there's just a lot of kind of incomprehension. As you say, there's a certain amount of people just haven't encountered um pro-life people before. Do you think that was the situation with the referendum here though, especially from young people's perspective? Do you think they really understood or listened to the message that pro-life people I think if you look at the scale and if you look at, you know, people I've spoken to myself and if you look at I'm a a, a fiendish Twitter user and you look at that, I think a lot of people just haven't encountered um, I guess what I'd call the back to basics argument. So in the context of a referendum, a lot of people are going around the doors, working day in and day out, doing fantastic work, developing skills about talking to people. But the nature of a referendum limits the amount you can say. You're there on the doorstep. Somebody is... It's sound bites, really. Yeah, is, is busy. They want to get out of there. And you only say so much. 
one of the things I'd love to see, and I found a lot of success with it over in England, where the culture is even worse, if anything, um, is actually just going back to the very basics and actually just talking about what I like to call the sort of the imaginative reality of the child, right? Um, I think one thing a lot of pro-choice people don't get about pro-lifers that we're often frustrated by is say, oh, well, why are you pro-life? You, do, you, are you, are you, you, do you want to oppress women? You know, is, it about, is it about religion? Um, and I think the main reason why most people are pro-life who are is to them, they just see the unborn child as a child. Um, it's just imaginatively real to them in a way that it, 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 it isn't for, for a lot of the people who voted yes. And I think actually going back to that that basic level, trying to activate in people's minds that sort of sense of, huh, I haven't quite thought about it in that way before. I mean, one of the arguments that I would have made is that in the UK, where you've been living in 67, when abortion was introduced, they didn't have the knowledge we have now about fetal yeah. development and ultrasounds and all that sort of stuff. Isn't it a scarier thought to think that perhaps a lot of people who did vote to remove the Eighth Amendment, they do they do know the baby is alive, they do yeah. know about the baby's development, and that doesn't matter? So I think there's, there's two sides to it, right? I think one side of it is I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people actually did know it. I think a lot of people on most issues, if you think about how much, you know, if I think about how much I engage with a lot of issues that I don't care that much about, um, I only know a certain level of it. I, I hear the sound bites, I have vague caricature ideas of the arguments on either side. I'm not sure that a lot of people have a really deep knowledge of, of what's going on. Um, on the other hand, I do think it's important to avoid the sort of idea that, you know, this is just something imposed by the evil elites and, you know, and something that the pro-life movement worldwide would have kind of told ourselves, which is that, you know, judges did this or politicians did this. But in Ireland... Now in Ireland, no, the, peop the people, the people did it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's disheartening, but it's also maybe a reality check in the sense that you kind of go, okay... This happened. Um, this is something that a lot of people believe. How can we now go out and just have conversations with people? And when I was in Oxford Students for Life, I saw our whole work when we invited speakers, when we started debates, when we were protested by you know people screaming down our speakers. The whole point of that was just to facilitate one-to-one -one conversations. The whole point of it, in my mind, was just making it possible for individuals to talk to their friends and, and their acquaintances and people they actually know and have a relationship with and actually really delving into it in a way that I don't think it was del delved into. So yes, it's, it's, there was a real vote against this. There was something, um, there was a kind of an ethic of, of individualism or an ethic of, of misplaced compassion or something um, that, that got a big majority. I don't think that's any reason to despair or to uh, not get into two things. A, just going back to the basics that I said, and B... So do you see the kind of uh, a long game here and then the next thing people would think well how long is that yeah how, <laughs> we're talking about you know a thousand years until um until civilization is restored i think there's probably a long game and a short game uh, and the short game plays into the long game there's that sort of level of having the individual conversations there's getting out there and doing practical things so there's a lot of networks that were set up by the referendum there's canvassing groups there's whatsapp groups and people i know my family my friends did fantastic work so many people just out there giving their all Let's make sure those networks don't go away. Let's call up um, a pro-life doctor or a pro-life medical professional and say, okay, in terms of practical support that you see women needing uh, who are looking for abortions, how can we volunteer to help give that? How can we support that? How can we do practical things? Invite a doctor or a, a, a medical professional to address your canvassing group. Um, find out how to give that practical support. I also think that in this whole area of conscientious objection, um, there's a lot of support to be done of doctors, right? Because in terms of the people of my generation who are coming into the medical profession at the moment, right? Uh, a lot of them 
are saying is there going on building up the kind of communities that can um, can keep these these ideas alive well, that's an interesting point in terms of just keeping those energized who gave so much of their time that you know there is a temptation to mm. as you say just be uh, siloed in a way but finally just to ask you Ben for, you know when you look at the numbers of people your age that voted for abortion uh, an even greater majority mm. How does that make you feel and what's your message to people of your generation that are pro-life? Uh, so it feels awful to begin with. I mean, there's no point pretending otherwise. It's 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 miserable to kind of go, OK, this is something, you know, that is so fundamentally important. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bleeding heart. <laughs> and so when I think about this, I just think about the lives that are being lost and I think about the, the people I know with Down syndrome. And it's, it's horrible, right? So it's OK to feel like that. I would say to people who are my age who are pro-life, um, absolutely do not give up. I don't know if history has sides, but goodness does, and you're on the right one. The Best of the Morning Show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. Of course, we've been experiencing unusually hot weather here in Ireland. Uh, sadly, still, though, people have been leaving animals in their car, and it can be, of course, detrimental to animals. Well, we chatted to Pete the Vet during the week about looking after animals during this hot weather, and that's the first thing that we started off talking about, about not leaving animals in the car by themselves. Or even a cool car. Just don't leave animals in the car at this time of year. Because, you know, people often say, oh, well, look, they're in the shade, the windows are open, it's fine. But it's not, because things can change very quickly. And it's amazing how, how you see, dogs have got hot breath and as they breathe out they fill the area around them with warmth and then they have to cool down by doing that and if they if they're in an enclosed space and even if a car's windows are open it's still relatively enclosed space um the car soon fills with their hot breath and then they can't lose heat anymore because when they're breathing hot air out into hot air and so they can't breathe in cool air and that's when they get into problems in general pete the type of domestic animals we have in ireland are dogs and cats and all that sort of stuff mm. how do they do in this type of hot weather that's so unusual in ireland are they good at kind of adapting Cats are great because cats are independent creatures. And, like, the thing is, in Ireland, it's not like we're living in, you know, like, Florida or or, or India, somewhere where uh, the shade even is, is steaming hot. In Ireland, if you go into the shade, it's actually still reasonably cool. So cats especially are very good at finding pleasantly um, chilled out, shady places to hunker down in hot weather. And so cats cope very, very well with the heat. Dogs, unfortunately, um, for them, they're at our behest. They can only go where we put them. So, you know, humans choose to lock dogs in places where they shouldn't be, whether it's a conservatory at home or whether it's a, a, a garden with no shade at all or um, a garage. or There's lots of things that happen where, where people don't realise what they're doing and they unfortunately cause their dog to suffer. The other thing that we see increasingly with dogs is, is dogs that are exercising uh, and then collapsing in the middle of, middle of a hot day. So again, it's partly ignorance. People don't realise the risk. So if a dog is on a warm day, they're already quite warm, and then they, you get them to chase their ball. And they love chasing the ball, so they, they'll forget about any discomfort they're feeling. They'll just run and run and run. But when they do that, their muscles produce heat. And so that means their body is warming up from the inside as well as being heated up from the outside. And they just can't pant fast enough to get rid of the heat. And so what you have is somebody who's exercising their dog on a warm day and the dog suddenly collapses. 
How do you? What are the telltale telltale signs before that happens? Do Very you know the curious, dog's suffering? because the dog's obviously just exerting itself, so it's panting a lot. Um, but what you'll find is the dog is panting so much that it's not stopping panting at all. Normally, a dog is panting will stop panting and and be okay, and then pant again. The dog is continually panting, but then what happens is when they collapse, and that might be the only warning sign you have is your dog is now flopped down the ground, looking uncomfortable and panting all the time, and you're going, why won't they walk? What's wrong with them? And, and I've had somebody phone me with it, that the dog had done this. They were out on a hillside and, on a sunny day and the dog had collapsed. And they said, what's, we don't know what's wrong with her. She's, she was fine 20 minutes ago. Now she won't move. We can't, we can't get her to walk at all. And I listened to them, to what they'd been doing and, and heard about the weather exactly where they were. And it was obvious to me that the dog had simply got heat stroke. So I had to get them on the phone because they were in the middle of nowhere. They had to carry their dog to a nearby river and literally dunk their dog in the river. Cool the dog down. Is and that did, the best thing to uh, do? Yeah, and they, they, they phoned me every 10 minutes with an update and literally half an hour later the dog was absolutely back to normal because they'd managed to cool it down So cool, cool the animal down with, mm. in cold water and then lo- drinking lots of water? Yeah, they, uh, you should, if you're out on a dog on a hot day you should make sure always that they have fresh water. So carry a bottle with you and a collapsible bowl so you can offer them water because they need water to cool down. And by the way, you're not meant to dunk dogs straight into icy cold water it's preferable to use water that's a little bit um, if you like off cold like even tepid because very very cold water causes the blood vessels in the surface of the skin to constrict and that can actually stop them losing as much heat as they might need to lose so cool water so you, what you want is their body is wet um, and then because their body is wet um, heat evaporates from the body with the breeze on the body so it's not it's partly the water cooling them down but it's also partly the fact that the body is wet that cools them down I know an issue at this time of year can be summer gastroenteritis what's Mm. that all about? Yeah what that's about is because it's warmer what it means is that uh, everything in the environment is changing more quickly than normal so um, if there's let's say if there was a rabbit that died and its carcass was outside well it's going to go off much more quickly than than usual because um, it's warmer bacteria multiply more quickly and things decompose more rapidly and if somebody drops a sandwich it's going to go off more quickly if uh, there's any food of any kind or even vegetation like uh, mushrooms or rotting leaves um, bacteria are are churning away far more quickly uh, creating just more bacterial infection. What that means is there's more spoiled things out there and dogs love eating spoiled things. They they like it. They like they're scavengers by nature. They like to pick things up and gobble them down. As I often say, dogs eat first and sniff later, whereas cats are much more pernickety eaters. They'll be very cautious about what they eat. What that means is that dogs are prone to eating um spoiled things, you know, whether it's carcasses or vegetation or whatever, they tend to scoff it quickly. And that means that their their stomach is filled with something it shouldn't be filled with, whether it's got a high bacterial load, whether there's toxins there, um, or whether it's just something very irritant. And so what that means is that vets in practice around the country are seeing an increasing number of dogs with severe gastroenteritis. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.